Hey, everybody. We've had a great opportunity to worship the Lord already this morning. I hope that there have been some things that have kind of stood out to you um, as we've been singing these songs. I have the privilege of already knowing what I'm about to be preaching about, and the Lord has kind of taken these things and really ministered to me already. And I want to encourage you with some thoughts that are going to apply over the next few minutes as I'm sharing with you. We sang in the first song that Jesus is King. That's good for us to be thinking about as we um, look into Mark 6, that Jesus is King. We sang that we are going to sing a song declaring that we belong to Jesus. Do you belong to Jesus? That's going to that's gonna come up again here in a minute. Um, we sang a song declaring that Jesus is worthy. Do you agree? He is. <laughs> I was, yeah. What a great thing for us to agree as we were um, singing. Uh, we sang about um, Jesus, the Son of God. That matters. That w- that that he isn't just a prophet, that he wasn't just a good teacher. He wouldn't have been able to accomplish what he was able to accomplish if he had just been a good teacher. There's a lot of people who um, will say, oh, you know, I love the teachings of Jesus, but, you know, nothing, nothing else. I love the good things that he said, but, but all the salvation stuff and the morality stuff, that's not, really, that's not really for me. I just, you know, we should just be kind to one another. And that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the, the son of God. And he came uh, to rescue people from sinfulness, from the judgment that they deserve. We sang about God's faithfulness. Praise God that he's a faithful God. It made me think of 2 Timothy 2 where it says, even if we're, if we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. We've been united with Christ. That's going to come up again in a minute. Praise God for these songs that we were able to sing for the team that was uh, leading us. We're going to be in uh, Mark 6 this morning. Would you turn there uh, with me? Mark 6. We're going to start in verse 30. I want to read verses 30 through 34, and then we're going to jump to verse 45 and read a new story. In between was the story of the feeding of the 5,000, which Pastor Dean preached about um, last week. So we're going to kind of go to what happened right before the feeding of the 5,000 and what happened um, right at the the end of that miracle um, that we talked about again last week. Mark 6, 30 through 34, and then 45 through 52. This is what God's word said. It says, the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a crowd. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And now verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. And after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. 
and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Let's pray uh, one more time. We thank you, Lord, for this, this word that we have, this word that we've already seen and been reminded of this morning that is living and active. We pray that you would encourage our hearts with it this morning. We pray that uh, we would see you clearly in your word this morning. We thank you for uh, the love and the grace uh, that you have for us to, to grow us in faith. We thank you for this church and the opportunities we have to minister uh, to one another. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. It, that was a busy day. They had just gotten back from doing all of this ministry. And Jesus puts the idea of rest in their mind. Hey, let's go to a secluded place. And then they end up changing those plans, going and feeding 5,000 people. And then they get in the boat and they're rowing and straining. They had a lot going on. It was a, it was a, it's a busy day. Jesus knew where they were. Jesus knows what they need. They had been on the move. They hadn't had time for themselves. Mark even records like they didn't have time to eat. And it, it sounds like a lot like us. We're always on the move. We've got a lot going on. Do you guys ever feel busy? I'm sure you do. I'm sure that, um, you know, you know that feeling of being like, wow, this has been a really long day. We're complex people. We tire. You know, we need to recharge. We need to sleep. Uh, that's fine. The Lord understands our, our physical needs, but we are also spiritual people. There's the, the physical aspect of our, of our bodies, but then there's also what's going on in our souls. We are spiritual people, and we were designed and created to connect with our creator. We need something that I want to um, suggest to you is different from just sleep is that we need rest. That there is a physical need for sleep, but there is a spiritual need uh, for rest. And the world doesn't understand the source of real rest. What we're going to be talking about tomorrow, what we're going to be talking about today, I'm sorry, is real rest. The world numbs the disquieted soul with temporary vices that bring temporary relief. And the world never really experiences rest because they don't know where rest comes from. Jesus invites them to a quiet place. Come away with me. It's a quiet place. It's a secluded place. There's less distraction. But it's not just about being alone. It's about being with him. Jesus understands that they need rest. And so he puts that idea of rest in their mind and then totally changes it up on them. Because as they're going to their secluded place, they get there and they find out that it's not so secluded anymore. Jesus was going to teach them about what what it means to be a follower what it means to be obedient. And he's going to do all that, but not in the way that they were expecting. It's not just going to be sitting around a campfire. 
He's got a different way to teach them about what rest is. So they get to this secluded place, and there's people everywhere, and God has a plan that we don't always anticipate. God is doing something that we might not have foreseen. They thought one thing was going to happen, and then something totally unexpected happens. All of a sudden, now they're having to to feed 5,000 people. God has this plan. When I was... um, in high school, 1994, 1995, I was going on mission trips with my youth group uh, to Mexico City. That's why I ended up moving to Mexico City um, after college was because I had spent time there as a high schooler, getting to know the people, getting to know the missionaries. And one of the, the leaders at my church, Piedmont Baptist Church in Marietta, his name was uh, Ty. And he talked about something called the missionary profile. I don't remember much of my life from the past. I don't remember things that I said and did. There were tons of people that taught me great things, I'm sure, that, that formed me and helped me um, love the Lord more. But one specific thing that I remember was Ty talking about the missionary profile and what it meant to be a missionary and this simple idea that we needed to be flexible and adaptable. And it sounds kind of cheesy, and he said it like a thousand times, and we would all kind of roll our eyes, flexible and adaptable. And you know what? It stuck with me because as, as, as a Christ follower, do you know what we need? We need to be flexible and adaptable because we don't know what the Lord is doing. We can't always understand what he's up to, but we can trust him. That event didn't catch Jesus off guard, the fact that all those people were there in their secluded place. It was part of Jesus' plan for what he was going to be teaching the disciples. He was going to be teaching the disciples that no moment was just for them. That every breath is from the Lord, and so every moment is for the Lord. They didn't get to be tired and use tired as an excuse to be unpleasant or unkind or unwatchful or selfish. They don't, they don't get to have that excuse. Jesus was there to serve, so they needed to be there to serve. Every moment is a spiritual moment. Every moment is an opportunity for growth or ministry. We don't get to have mundane moments or ordinary moments. As a believer, it's hard for me to even to say that we get downtime. We're united with Christ by the power of the Spirit. We sang it already this morning. We declare that we belong to Jesus. There's no more you if you're a Christ follower. It's now Christ in you. And if your flesh kind of revolts and and, and pushes back at that thought, I want to ask you to consider what happened at the cross. Jesus died, but you also died, believer couple of verses that I want to share with you. Colossians 3, 2 and 3 says this, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And again, in Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Our lives are not our own. If you put your trust in Christ, you died. And now we walk in the newness of Christ's life. Think about what happens in the, the baptismal pool. I love the picture of baptism. Because it's a picture of this very thing that we aren't our own. That now there is no more me, it's Christ in me. I died, 
buried in the waters of baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. It's Jesus's life lived out in us. We don't get time for ourselves anymore because Jesus is with us by the power of the spirit. The people were tired. The disciples were tired. They had been doing ministry, but Jesus had more to do. And so they did too. And so Jesus feeds the 5,000. He provided for the people. This is a review of what we talked about last week. He provided for the, the people there. He provided for their physical needs, just like the Lord provided for the physical needs of the Israelites in the desert. When he provided manna, Jesus broke the bread, provided the fish, took care of them, but it was an opportunity for him to also teach them many things. It was a fruitful time that would have been missed if they were just sitting around. There was fruitful ministry that was happening because they were willing to walk with the Lord and do what he had called them to do. And so after caring for people um, spiritually and physically, Jesus continues to redefine and model what real rest is. He goes up on a mountain to pray. He connects with the Father. Rest isn't about just withdrawal or being alone. Rest isn't laziness. It's meeting with the Lord who loves you and knows you and cares about you. It's setting your mind on him. Real rest is found in Christ. It's not the absence of work, but it's the right kind of work. And so we schedule and plan and pray and read and think and have relationships and we are involved in activities, but we do all of those things all the while constantly aware of God's love and care for us and his presence in our lives so that we're able to glorify him in all of the things that we're doing. We're able to have opportunities, see opportunities that we might have otherwise missed to lift up the name of Jesus. Again, like we were just singing about. Jesus is the example. Every moment is a kingdom moment, and we find our rest in him. I don't think the disciples were ready for that yet, though. They needed rest, but they weren't ready because their hearts don't see him for who he really is. They wouldn't have found their rest in him yet. So the lesson continues. Jesus sends his disciples across the lake. Verse 48 in Mark chapter 6 says that the wind was, the, was against them. Uh, the Gospel of John recounts this story also and says that it had been like three or four miles of straining on the oars. I'm, I'm, I'm not a nautical guy. I don't know what that would be like, but I went online and watched some Olympic rowing and watch these guys just like full on going crazy. And I was just like, that's, that just kind of got in my mind a picture of what it would be like to be straining at the oars for three to four hours, just thinking about how intense that would be. And it wasn't like on a calm lake like they were doing in the Olympics. This is like in the middle of a storm. And so it's not just the fact that they're physically tired, but there's also some, some fear that's going on. But shouldn't the wind have been in their backs? Why were they in the boat? Because Jesus sent them in the boat. They had been serving. They were just trying to get home. They were obedient. Why was the wind in their face? Sometimes God sends you into the wind to teach you that he's Lord over the wind. We can't expect that things are going to be easy. We don't get to tell God what we deserve. We're not in a boat, but are there some things that we can learn from this story? Does this story apply to us or is it just a story? There are some things that this story teaches us about the condition of the human heart, about the character of God that I think would be important for us to 
um, think about this morning. The first thing is that storms are coming. There are going to be storms. Can we take this as a metaphor for storms in our life? We can. We were reading in Sunday school this morning from Isaiah 25, 4, and it says that the Lord is a refuge from the storm. That wasn't a real storm. That was like a life storm. There are some life storms that we're going to be walking through. The storms are coming. Sometimes maybe it's come from a foolish decision. Maybe it's from a rebellious decision. Maybe it was from a selfish decision. Maybe the storm in your life is because of somebody else's rebellious, foolish, or selfish decision. Sometimes the storms just come. The disciples hadn't done anything wrong. In fact, they were being obedient, and here they are in the middle of a storm. Storms can be financial, where we feel like we're at the end of our rope. It can be relational, where we've got like crazy conflict that we didn't expect or that we don't want. Our storms can be physical when all of a sudden we're, we're dealing with some sickness that, that just kind of overwhelms us and, and we just can't, it seems like we can't handle it. Maybe our storms are parental where we're trying to do our best and it just seems like, like it's so hard. Maybe our storms are spiritual where we're constantly at a war, constantly failing. We feel like we can't do anything right, that we can't please the Lord. We're going to be walking through storms. And we've got to walk in obedience, whether the wind is at our backs, whether the wind is in our face. Some storms are beyond our ability to navigate. Think about who is in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. These are fishermen. There's ever anybody who would be able to navigate the storm in a boat who had seen them a thousand times. It would be these guys, and yet they find themselves completely overwhelmed. Beyond their ability to handle we, we don't give up. He sent us. He knows what we're going through. We don't lose heart because he's with us. Would you guys pray that the Lord will open our eyes to see his goodness? Would you guys pray that we would be reminded that we aren't alone in this? Jesus saw them from up on the mountain. He was praying and he looks down and he sees them. They aren't forgotten. So he comes to them walking on the water. What? It's like one of the most famous miracles of Jesus. It, it, it's, it's so amazing to, to picture what that would be like. It's very unusual. I guess that's, that's why they wrote it down. But when they see him, they see a ghost. The glory of God is misperceived. It's not understood the correct way, correct way. In unbelief, the glory of God is misperceived by un- unbelief, but it's fully seen in faith. Humans have the, the sad ability to take things that should glorify God and ascribe them to lesser things. Psalm 29.2 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. This is a miracle. That is Jesus walking on the water, and yet they can't see it because they don't have eyes of faith. And instead, they fall into fear. Unbelief leads to fear through a carnal and secular understanding of the very deep spiritual nature of our world. When we don't understand the spiritual things that are going on, when we don't understand that there's a God who's over all of these things, that he's in control of all these things, that he's even ordaining these things, we don't understand that. All we have left is our carnal, secular understanding. That's what these disciples fall into. Oh, It's a ghost. 
Fear is a constant human problem. You ever been afraid? I have. Is it something that's overwhelmed you? Fears overwhelm me. You know that the Bible talks about fear a lot. One of the most common encouraging instructions of the Bible is to fear not. Yesterday, uh, we were at uh, dinner, and Christian and I were talking a little bit about what I was going to be preaching about today. And I, and I mentioned this, that the, the Bible tells us to fear not. And, and right then, Asher instantly um, pipes in and starts to quote Joshua 1.9. You may have heard it before. You may be familiar with it. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Fear not. But that's not the end of that verse, is it? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. You know it, Jenna. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? That we know these promises, and the Lord says, fear not, and it's always, most of the time, accompanied with this great reminder that the Lord is with us. It's not just fear not, deal with it, you can handle it, get your act together, be strong. It's fear not because the Lord is with you. We easily fall into fear. Fear presents itself as hopelessness sometimes, that whatever situation, whatever storm we're facing, that we can't understand the purpose for it, we can't understand why there would be a reason for this. Why am I in this difficulty? If we don't have eyes of faith, we just, we're just hopeless. Fear can present itself as helplessness, that we're stuck and can't move forward, crippled by worry and anxiety. All we can think of is the storm. We can't see anything else, and it just leaves us helpless. Fear can present itself as loneliness, feelings of abandonment, that you're left to handle this challenge alone, that maybe you can't imagine that God is there with you, but believers, you've never walked through anything alone. The fear of loneliness and the fear of of helplessness and the fear of hopelessness, those are all battled in the presence of the Lord. He has made himself available and he's near. Jesus doesn't leave the disciples in fear, does he? They're trembling. They think they see a ghost, but what does Jesus do? He speaks these words of encouragement. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. He's still having compassion the reason that he fed the 5,000, you remember what it said? It was because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. Here the disciples are struggling away in a boat, and the Lord still has compassion. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he's leading his people home. Peace and rest for our souls are found in the presence of Christ. We've got to prepare now. We prepare now so that when the challenge comes, when the next door comes, our minds don't slip into the bazaar. The disciples weren't ready. They couldn't imagine that Jesus would be there. They'd seen him do so many amazing things, but they saw a ghost. We need to build some godly habits now so that we don't see ghosts. We've got to have a couple of habits I want to challenge you with this morning. One, a habit of filling our minds with the promises of God so that we don't fall into fear. Fill your minds with the promises of God so that you don't fall into fear. Here's a promise. A promise, Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace 
those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. What are the promises of God? I'm just kidding. That's, but we can spend, we can spend like another hour talking about the promises of God. We're not going to do that right now, but here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you think about a promise of the Lord that has um, encouraged you? And I want to um, encourage you to share that with somebody else today. We, we could spend the rest of the day talking about the promises of God. There are many. Let's continue this. Something that the Lord has encouraged you with, maybe something that he's, he's used to get you through, share it with somebody else today. We need to know the promises of God. But knowing the promises of God isn't enough. We have to turn to him first in faith, believing that the promises are true. We believe that Jesus is going to meet us and he's going to help us. But sometimes, you know, that help doesn't come right away. Sometimes it does. Sometimes we wait. Sometimes we pray in full faith. Lord, I trust you and, and, and I believe that you're doing something that I don't understand. And sometimes we pray not knowing how to pray because we do not understand and we're really struggling. The promises we know have to be united in faith so that we can endure and persevere. Um, we have to know the promises and believe the promises. We read Hebrews 4 earlier. Hebrews 4, 2 says that the message proclaimed uh, to, the, to some of the people had no value for them. Do you, under, do you remember why? It says the message that they heard didn't have value because it wasn't united in their hearts by faith. They didn't believe it. They heard it, but they didn't believe it. We have to know the promises and believe that they're true. And then... The writer of Hebrews continues in Hebrews 4 to explain a little bit more about why we can believe the promises are true and why we can trust that Jesus is good. And at the end of Hebrews 4, in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we're reminded that Jesus comes to us, that he came here, that he took on flesh, that he lived this life. He knows what it's like to be human. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. He's willing to help. Maybe you've known a friend who, when you were going through a hard time, when you were going through a storm, that seemed like the friend that you thought was a friend just kind of dipped out. Maybe they were like, okay, check you later. You know, hope it works out for you. Jesus isn't that kind of friend. He's willing to help, and he's able to help. He's overall. We were singing to the king this morning. We're invited to approach the throne of grace. He's the king. He's the Lord over all. If there's ever anybody who could help, it's King Jesus. Jesus is willing to help. He's able to help. Jesus was willing to able to help the disciples. He calmed that storm. It says that the winds died down. He calmed that storm, but he didn't calm all of their storms. The lesson for the disciples wasn't just wait and it'll get better. The lesson for the disciples was in the waiting, I'm with you. You can't see me, but I've come to be with you. And this is what's best. Trust me. Those are the lessons that we learn while we're waiting. The Apostle Paul had his share of storms. Um, we're going to look at um, Philippians 1, 12 through 14. That one's going to be up on the screen here. You can read it with me. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, now I want you to know, brethren, that my, cir- my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, 
trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. The believers where Paul was imprisoned were strengthened in their faith because of his imprisonment, not because of his release. They could have had the fear that the same thing would happen to get, that would happen to them, that they would end up in prison, but instead they're emboldened in their faith, having seen the way that the Lord sustained and encouraged Paul. It was hard, but the Lord uh, was with him. The Lord's never in a hurry and he's never late. Just let that sink in for a minute. He's never in a hurry and he's never late because God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. His omnipotence is combined with wisdom and it's combined with love. He's all powerful, loving, and wise. And because of that, we can trust him that his way is always best, that his timing is always right. If we don't believe that, if we think that there's a better way than what God has for us, it's sinful because what that says is that my wisdom, God, is better than your wisdom. That my way is better than your way. We may not understand, but here's what we do. We trust the Lord. We trust the omnipotent, loving, wise God. No matter what storm we're going through. This is what the prophet Isaiah said. Um, He was, um, God was describing himself to a people who were tempted not to trust him. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, that'll be up here on the screen as well. He says, "Remember, remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I'm declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. The Lord knows the end of every matter. He knows the course of every circumstance. He knows how to arrive at the end he desires. And so our job is to keep rowing, to keep being obedient. Whatever the Lord has for us, whatever path he has for us, let's continue on. No matter how difficult it seems, he sees. No matter how dark it seems, he sees. When the storm is surrounding us, he sees. He cares. He helps. The Lord knows what we're going through. He sent us. He sends us into the storms to build our faith, to grow our dependence on him. And he helps us through the storm so that we can then help other people in the storm. David was praying this morning and he prayed that we would be more like Jesus. Jesus got in somebody's boat. Maybe you need to get in somebody's boat. Maybe the Lord has ministered to you in the midst of a storm and you are the one that the Lord has placed in their life right now to help them through this difficult time. Sometimes we do whatever we can to avoid difficulties. Sometimes we run from relationships that start to get messy. The Lord wants to use us. The Lord wants to use this church. That's why we're here, to be in relationship with one another, to be known and to be encouraged. Talk about the help that the Lord has given you. Jesus didn't want the disciples to be crushed by fear. But freedom from fear is a blessing of faith. You must be born again. A hardened heart is only going to see ghosts. A hardened heart is only going to see false explanations for the storms. It's only going to receive bad advice from the storms. A hardened heart is only going to listen to the lies from the enemy in the storms. We must be born again. 
Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He laid that life down at the cross. He rose again on the third day. He is alive and he wants to know you. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to give you the promise of eternal life. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to earn God's forgiveness. He gives it freely. Would you be free from fear this morning? Would you be free from the the judgment of hell that you deserve by putting your faith in Jesus? God's judgment is away from his presence. And the gospel says, no, you've been invited in. You've been welcomed in. Praise God that he loves us and welcomes us in. If we put our faith in Jesus. Let's pray. When the storms come, Lord, I pray that we would remain steadfast. I pray that you would grow our faith. I pray that you would overcome fear in Jesus' name. I pray that many people, um, Lord, would see your goodness and your faithfulness, that they would be reminded of it this morning and that they'll see it for the first time and that they will glorify you. Pray that the dead would come alive in Jesus' name. Amen.